Welcome to our main, Multiple Lenses for Tefillah Education. This podcast series hosts a panel of tefillah educators led by Rabbi Svi Hirschfield in an invigorating discussion of how to make prayer relevant to young people. As our focus, we'll use a menu of educational goals developed by the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, where each educator explores this episode's prayer through a lens of either connecting to God, developing a sense of Jewish community, or cultivating personal growth. We hope this podcast challenges you to improve tefillah education, and let us say... Hello, everyone, Amen. and uh, welcome to another episode of Amen. 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 Uh, a podcast that uh, develops lenses into, different lenses into tefillah education. Uh, today, our focus is on uh, the last three brachot, last three blessings of the Shmanasri, of the Amidah, and we are joined quite literally by the A-team. We have Rabbi Alex Israel, who in addition to be an outstanding and well-known teacher of Tanakh and other areas of Jewish studies, here at Pardes is Director of Continuing Education and the summer program here at Pardes. And we are also joined by, again with an A, Aviva Lauer, who is the head of the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, PCJE, over here at Pardes. Uh, and they both have uh, exciting things to share with us today about uh, one or all three of the last three brachot of the Shwanasre. So I'd like to begin with you, Alex. Wait, and you are? Oh, I'm sorry. I am Svi Hirschfield. I'm the one who's always here, uh, and I continue to be so until Ruvain dismisses me and finds a better mo- uh, moderator. So I would like us to begin with uh, my friend, neighbor, and colleague, Rabbi uh, and teacher, Rabbi Alex Israel. Alex, what do you have for us? So uh, when I look at the last uh, three brachot of the Shemona Isra, uh, of the standing prayer, I uh, want to focus in on um, two of them. The first is Modim, where we offer thanks. And I really find, as somebody who prays myself, and when I'm thinking about this, I really uh, take this as an opportunity to connect into uh, with God about uh, concepts of gratitude. Um, the, the text here talks about that, that you are God, but it talks about all the things it does for us. Uh, for our souls, which you have given us our lives. And I find myself frequently when I talk about that, it does say that our lives who you have deposited with us, but sometimes I find myself actually thinking about other lives which have been deposited to me, in other words, my children's lives, and uh, thinking that uh, thank, thanking God for those things, and also for um, the wonders and goodnesses, uh, which, and, and here it says, Shebechol 8, at every moment, Erev, Avokav and it's this notion of gratitude, thankfulness, awareness, mindfulness about all the blessings that we have in our lives. And one of the um, activities I sometimes like to do when I talk about this theme uh, with students is simply to get everybody to take a blank piece of paper and say, you know, set your, you know, your phone for three minutes and just write all the things you're thankful for in the next three minutes. I generally find that it takes them a while to get going, but once they start going, um, they don't, three minutes is not long enough. And most of us don't say modim over three minutes. Uh, we really have a huge number of blessings. We're very fortunate. And I look at modim as a real opportunity to think about hatov kilo um, the, the goodness which never ends in our life, from our very health, from the very fact that we exist, all the people who, who we love and who love us, 
and all the good fortune that we have. So um, I, I'll start off by, by relating to this. Yeah, uh, Aviva, did you want to uh, jump in? Sure. Um, if I'm thinking about um, what Alex has just talked about, from th- that it's um, he's talking about the tefillah through the the lens of really our relationship to God, and um, you know, using the words very specifically to to reflect that. I I'm thinking about this particular bracha um, in a in a lens of in the sort of self-actualization or character development lens, which is so similar, but I think um, one can, can if, if you sort of spin, a little, spin it a little bit differently, it, will, um, it can affect a person in a different way, and depending on what you're hoping to teach your students, whether you're hoping to um, focus on strengthening their relationship to God and the greater world, or if you're hoping to um, have them work on their own personal growth, you can talk about this bracha in, in in different ways. So, um, so Alex was talking about the idea of, of gratitude for everything that, that we have in our lives or our students have in their lives. Um, and that makes me think about the, the spin of not just gratitude, but graciousness. That this bracha is an opportunity for us to talk to our students or our participants or our children um, about being not just grateful, but gracious about things. Meaning, I, I think about it as, and you all can certainly jump in about your feelings about the difference or the similarity between those two, but when we're trying to inculcate gratitude, that's having people be thankful for things. And when we're trying to inculcate graciousness, it's almost like we're trying to get them to say aloud and their appreciation, to sort of recognize it and not just think it in their head. Um, and what I love about this bracha of modim, um, in the first several words where we, we bow, you know, we physically um, sort of bend ourselves over, that, that bending, that bowing to me is almost like a physical embodiment of, of being gracious. You know, we're saying words about being, being um, gr- in a gracious way to God. And we are, we're talking about being thankful for all the things that, that Alex mentioned um, our lives, our, nish, our, our souls, miracles, et cetera, et cetera, all the good, big and small things that God does for us. And I love that, that physical embodiment um, of the gracious element of it, of I am prostrating myself in order to say, you have done good for me. And I really, really appreciate that. Uh, can I, uh, let me just jump in here and say, I think there can be, if you're talking about self-actualization of what actually does in our lives. Um, we often talk about the Palel as being what effect it has on the person who prays. Of course. And uh, I think when we become thankful people, we also become kinder people. Mm. If we're aware of the thanks that we owe to, to God for giving us life and for sustaining us, maybe we're more likely to sustain others. If we count our blessings, we might well be able to be there as a, a blessing for others. And therefore there might be a sense of, us, um, you know, we stand up tall, but on the other hand, we lower ourselves to God, but maybe we'll also sometimes be willing to bend ourselves to other people and not always see ourselves in the center. And once you start becoming grateful and realize it's not all me, I rely on a lot of other things which sort of hold me up, then maybe I understand that sometimes I need to be there for others as well. I, I think you're so right. Um, I, I know that 
I know that in my life, you know, people are off, people are, we are always asked to do things for other people. I, we, we Jews are, are big chesed doers and givers. And so there's often, can you help so-and-so? They, you know, they had surgery and they need help or somebody is in mourning. Can you help them? And I find myself sometimes thinking like, oh my God, like I can't extend myself anymore. But then when I was the person who needed the help, I felt very, um, viscerally almost that oh my god I don't help other people enough like people are being so kind to me and so giving and gracious about it I need to do that too so that I I feel like what you're just saying is is so true in real life you know it's interesting to note that there is a link between humility and gratitude that's my association with the bowing that if you if you see yourself as all powerful or all capable there's really no room for anyone to do anything for you uh, and you feel that either it's all coming to you or you've given it all to yourself. And so I think that this idea of uh, making space for acknowledging that I am not the source of everything that I have, but I've actually received so much, I think uh, is that I think that bowing is that moment of humility that then enables us to uh, express gratitude. Uh, and also just to, to put out there, you know, sometimes students will say, but I'm not feeling grateful right now. How can I say the words when I'm not feeling it? Uh, so what would be your answer to that? You know, if someone says, okay, fine, I see that I'm supposed to feel grateful, but I'm not feeling it. How, should I be saying modim, if, uh, thank you, if I don't feel like saying thank you? So uh, for me, um, that goes back to the exercise I spoke about before. Um, I really think you're correct. We go through life, we don't think about the fact that we breathe. We don't think about so many that we live in a, in a warm house or whatever it might be. But maybe this is an opportunity for every person to take a moment. And uh, maybe we can encourage um, our students to really think maybe something about themselves, their physical environment, something about you know, their neighborhood. We sometimes don't think about the fact that we have safe streets. Hopefully we do have streets which are safe. And that relies on a lot of law and order and policing and government. Wow, that's not to be taken for granted. There are places in the world where people are afraid to walk down their streets. Um, um, as Aviva correctly said, it takes a, a mere visit to a hospital to realize how lucky we are uh, from you know, small scrapes and, and accidents to things far more serious. And I think maybe we have to... Um, try and figure out ways to raise those awarenesses and maybe Modim is an opportunity to think about that three times a day um, and to get that mindfulness, that consciousness. I, I Yeah, I feel that way as well. Um, in, in, again, uh, an example from, from life, um, there's something about this doing it regularly that I understand, Svi, you're saying like there can be pushback from students, like I don't feel this way, why should I say it? But this idea of doing it on a regular, um, regularly so that you know how to do it when you really need to, when you really want to, um, I, I know and I, I'm, I'm assuming my kids are not listening to this, so it's okay, but um, it's very important to me when they receive a gift that I've taught them that you're, it's like you've set your expression um, as one of excitement and one of gratitude, um, as opposed to, hmm, let me open up the present and see what it is, and then I'll set my expression, whether I like it or not, you know, depending on that. And we've talked about that so much because I've seen that in life. People are like, oh, what's that? No, no, no. You automatically are excited about whatever gift you got. And if you are working on that three times a day, you are automatically excited for being, for having your life 
in the same way, you can sort of set yourself to really be excited about your life. So it's great that we say this so many times a day and that we prostrate ourselves so many times a day. Also, I think sometimes you, you know, we, we assume you're supposed to feel it and then say it. Sometimes you have to say it in order to feel it. 100%. Right? In other words, sometimes it, uh, it starts out maybe as like a formal, you know, practice. But uh, I think there's a mindfulness practice to do that before you go to bed. Uh, that you go to bed or you wake up in the morning and there are three things you say, I'm thankful for today. Not just in, generically. Three things that happened today that I'm thankful for. It's actually interesting to contrast that with um, there's a practice of the Musa movement to say three things I'm sorry for today. <laughs> three things I did wrong today. I wonder if those two people end up very, very different in life. Um, but this notion of maybe going <laughs> to bed and saying three things that happened today that I'm particularly grateful for, um, whether it's for the, the, the hot bowl of soup for dinner or whether it's for something maybe more, uh, uh, something higher than that. Um, there is nothing higher than a hot bowl of soup for dinner. There you go. Okay, to avoid our slide down into menus and cooking, which will make another great podcast, by the way. Maybe <laughs> it could be around the blessings before food. I'm just putting Ooh. that out there. Uh, okay, let's go on. Uh, next blessing. Aviva, what do you got? Alex, what do you got? Oh, okay. No, I want to know which one you're going to do next. Oh, I was thinking about doing the last blessing, Sim Shalom. Um, do you want to go first or me? You, you. Okay, Sim Shalom. Um, we are very... Uh, blessed here in the land of Israel that one of the practices that regularly happen in the synagogue is the priestly blessing. Um, in, in many communities in the diaspora, uh, this is only, only an event for festive days, uh, for Chagim, and then the priest gets up to bless. The reason is because they are meant to always bless the people in a state of peace and calm, and um, there's a, on the Chagim is a time of simcha, of joy. But here in Israel, the practice is that the priests uh, stand up in the synagogue every morning and uh, say the famous blessing, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face, his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you peace. And uh, many have pointed out that Sim Shalom is almost like an answer to the priestly blessings. They say, May you grant, the, 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 the kohanim say to God, please grant them peace, sim shalom, uh, sorry, v'yasem lecha shalom, and then we echo, and we say, sim shalom, right? We say, uh, they, they say, uh, for example, yuvarecha Hashem, may God bless you. And we say, barcheinu avinu, Father, please bless us. They say, v'yichuneka, may God give you grace. And we say, chen v'chesed v'rachamim. In other words, this whole thing, or maybe the, the, the greatest one is to say, may God cause his face to light up to you, Ya'er Hashem panav elecha. Um, and we say, ki or panecha, with God's light. Ki or panecha, the face of God and God's light. In other words, we've just been blessed by God, and then we sort of like, this is our amen, right? We say, yes, indeed, thanks for that blessing. We're sort of in a conversation with God. The notion that we finish with the notion of peace but I, is, is amazing. But I'd say more than that. The notion that I end off my Amidah, my Shmon Esrei, in a sense that I'm having a conversation with God. The priests have blessed me, and now I say, yeah, you know, I'm into that. Let me just sort of repeat that back to you and say, really, all those blessings that, that God instructed the priests to bless us, we want all of those, and I even amplify them and, and, and make them grow. Um, 
And it leads me to really feel that the rabbis actually talk about when you hear the priest blessing, you should sort of like welcome in the welcoming the blessing. You should try to sort of say, yeah, bring it on. And the way we sort of do that in, in almost a conversational way, in a responsive way, is through this Sim Shalom paragraph. Um, and when I, when I do have this mindset of doing this, I really feel engaged in a two-way conversation. Sometimes too often in our prayers, we feel it's sort of a one-way uh, call and there's no one at the other end of the line. We can feel like we're sort of saying our piece, but who's listening? And when I have this interaction, the priests, and then the answer of Sim Shalom, it feels powerful that we're engaged in a dialogue. Viva. I love that so much. I'm a little bit stuck on that for a second. I want to, like, think about that. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, that was, that's really special. I, I love that idea um, of a dialogue with God. So I'm actually, um, Tzvi, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I should continue with my um, talk, talking or looking at the tefillah through my lens of, of character development, um, or I kind of want to switch over to the lens of community for a second. Is that okay? It's okay. You have our full permission. Okay. I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, this... this and actually, I'm going to extend, I know this is also, this is very, very progressive of me. I'm going to extend the Sim Shalom, even though the, the, the Khatima, the, um, the finishing of this, of this blessing is with Baruch Hashem HaMevarech HaTamo Yisrael BaShalom, Blessed are you, Lord, who blesses um, his people, Israel, with peace, right? So that's where that bracha ends. I want to extend this actually to the last piece, is that all right, the, of, the, uh, of the Amidah? Um, where we we go back and talk about peace again, and we say Oseh Shalom Bimromav. It's famous, uh, you know. People are very often very familiar with this as a song. Oseh um, Shalom Bimromav. May He who makes peace in His high places, who Yaseh Shalom Aleinu Ba'Kol Yisrael Vimru Amen. May He make peace in His high places. Make peace for us in all Israel and say Amen. So, um, in terms of community. I think um, having, as, as I, I think I often say in these, these podcast situations, having grown up modern Orthodox, of course, those, that was the language that we used. May God make peace um, you know, for, for us and for all of Israel, and let's say amen. And then you know, we were done with that. Um, and I, was, I, w- I think I was very surprised the first time I heard the song that added on to it, and of course it rhymes, it sounds really good. Huya um, se shalom aleinu va'alkol Yisrael va'alkol Yoshvei Tevel, right? That may God um, grant peace for us and for all of Israel and for all people who live on this earth. And, you know, I think that was a very important reminder to me that we have lots of different communities. And, and, and we and all of Israel, all of our, our Jewish peoplehood is, um, is a, one of our uh, ways of expressing uh, a circle, a community circle that we have. And then surrounding that or in other realms of our life, all those who live on this earth, that's our community as well. And we, I think it's important when we, when we say these, the bracha of Sim Shalom and then afterward about, you know, may God make peace. Who, who is our community that we would like to, God to grant peace upon? Um, I even heard um, one community, one 
one prayer community add a different uh, piece to that song. Peace, haha, P E A C. Right, P I E C E. They said, Hu yaseh shalom aleinu val kol Yisrael val kol Yishmael. Meaning, may God grant peace to us and to all of our nation Israel and to all Arabs. Arabs having traditionally come from Yishmael, the son of Avraham. We are all the children of Avraham, and they wanted to include those people in their community as well. Um, that was a new one for me this past year. What did you think? It was really interesting. It was really interesting. I think it raises this question. Who's your community, and who do you want to include in your community? And, and if that's the lens that you're looking at Tefillah with, I think, great, you should be... You really should be thinking, who do you want, who, who do you want to include in your, in your embrace? I wonder if this is a product of where we are in terms of uh, Jewish history. I think for many uh, centuries, Jews didn't have uh, the benefit or didn't have the luxury of being citizens of the world. Um, I think Jews were always considered a, minor- a minority. They were always pushed aside by many religious communities amongst who they lived, whether it was Islamic or whether it was Christian, and were seen in a lower status. And... You know, if we didn't look out for ourselves, nobody else would. And it was, God bless us. And we looked at, you know, uh, God is Barachinu Avinu, you're our father, and we are your children. But maybe we've reached a, a point where Jews do feel more secure and with greater, you know, rights around the world. We, um, I think Jews have frequently been loyal to the countries in which they reside, but having equal rights. I think has allowed people to embrace the side where they feel a commonality with a wider culture, especially in a, in a far more multi-ethnic age and a far more uh, in, in a modern sensibility. Um, and uh, maybe that's allowed people to open themselves up to um, God is the creator of all human beings. Um, you know, maybe it's a reflection of the age in which we live. Absolutely. You know, it's funny, when I, when I think of Sim Shalom, I don't think of Shalom really as peace as much as in terms of Shlemut, of wholeness. Uh, and my association at the end is this idea of all the different factions among the Jewish people sort of coming together uh, and figuring out how to be joined. So you think uh, there's like a little bit of friction between uh, certain factions in the Jewish uh, world sometimes? I've heard. I've heard rumors. I can't, I can't say I've ever witnessed it, but I've heard rumors that there is, uh, we're almost on an election, our third one, so we get to examine our frictions here in Israel quite often, but also in, uh, uh, in the diaspora as well. And I think that that sense of finishing our tefillah with this sense of all being connected to one another and all being joined to one another, uh, I think is a very powerful, very powerful message for me personally. Uh, and I, but also raises the question that maybe the tefillah, and I'm curious to hear your take on this, uh, is asking us to imagine what that would be like. You know, can we even imagine, uh, uh, in, in either of these visions, can we imagine world peace? Can we imagine peace between Jews and non-Jews? Can we imagine peace within the Jewish world? Like, what would that look like? Do we even have a vision? Do we even have a sense? Uh, I feel like that for many of us, I'll, I'll say, I should speak for myself, uh, I have grown uh, quite cynical and often despondent. Uh, so I don't even think about it. I don't think about what that might look like, what that might feel like. And maybe part of davening for something or praying for something is actually being open to the aspiration or to the image of what that would look like. What do you think? Uh, that echoes very strongly. I, I don't have much to add. 
what, what, what do you think of this? Do you, are you despondent of Eva? Or are you a hopeful, optimistic person who has a clear image of world peace? I happen to be, as I have said to some people, and maybe on the, this podcast, I don't remember, I am a believer. I'm a Mashiach believer, really, in whatever, however you want to take that. I, I really somehow am a very optimistic person. And I think a lot about when, when will, if things are bad, when will they be over? Not like, how long is it going to, like, how, how long are we going to be in, in, you know, in the mud? Like, I think about, okay, no, it's going to be over at some point, so let's figure out when that's going to be. Um, yes? Is there something you want well, to say? Well, <laughs> keep, keep going. I mean, I named my child Shalem. Uh, because that was our blessing and our belief for him, that he should feel complete in himself and he should feel um, peaceful and, and inner peace. And he was, na- he was named after this city, Yerushalayim, and that this place should be a place of um, completion and, and calm and well, you have actually brought us to the bracha that uh, the, the first bracha, which we didn't speak about yet, the Techazene B'Shuvcha Tzion Bracha Mim, right? God's return to Tzion, uh, and maybe that's the link to uh, Shalom and God's, uh, you know, returning the divine presence to Tzion. Uh, any anybody with a thought? I mean, the connection I think you just made—that's the con- that that Yerushalayim is meant to be this microcosm or the city of. Shlemut and uh, Shalom, and that God's restoring His presence here would be a restoration of everything, not just what's happening here. But uh, what are your thoughts about? Well, if we if we're going back to Ritzay, I'm actually um, Ritzay has a few, you know, minds in there, difficult difficult points. I think for people who uh, don't connect with the the notion of Sacrifices when they say, you know, restore the service to your holy house um, and accept in love and favor the fire office offerings. I think there must be a hard line for people who are not really interested in the return of the sacrificial rite. They see it as a vestige of the past. And even if we do create Beiti Beit Filah, if we create a house of prayer in the future as some sort of temple, uh, some people envisage it without sacrifices, and I imagine that must be a hard line. I find it um, hard. That's one of those difficult things that I find difficult to envisage about a about a future. But I love the first line of Ritze and the last line. If I can miss out the middle, <laughs> and I'll say uh, the first line: Ritze Hashem Elokeinu Yisrael God, find favor in your people Israel and in their prayers. And then the last line is. May our prayers always be um, maybe received gracefully uh, by you. And I feel this, uh, once again, gives me a great, a great sense of intimacy, uh, even say love. We're really asking, um, when, you, when you, you have a stranger, you maybe hold them at arm's length, and it's difficult to necessarily build warmth towards them. You don't know them. You're not always receptive to ideas from foreigners or from people you know, that you're, until you sort of uh, are able to size them up. But when you have a dear friend, when you have somebody you care about, you're much more open to them. And we're asking for God to be open to us. Um, I guess the ultimate sense is, which is really a sense of uh, consummating that relationship 
God really coming back in an almost a palpable sense to Zion of feeling God's presence here. But really, to my mind, Ritze is really about that, um, that intimacy, that intimacy between God and Israel, that openness, the warmth, the ability to be able to, God to receive us, to open his arms to us. Sorry to use such physical um, depictions of God, but, but that's the way I, I imagine these words in, in almost human terms um, when I'm really thinking about God, um, you know, greeting us with, with that sort of love and openness. I'm also thinking a lot about the word ritze or that, that shoresh, that root that comes, you know, it, it's three Lord times, say. yeah, so three times I think in this, um, or four times in this bracha, yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to go back to that um, self-actualization, personal growth lens, because I really do feel that tefillah um, for some people is is a really important resource to fulfill their emotional and existential needs. And so looking, just focusing on the word ritze or ratzon, um, I was just, I was trying to think about, you know, like as, as you're talking about Alex, God, find favor, um, you know, with, with like, find favor with us, like us, accept us, accept our, our contributions, accept us. And it makes me think a lot about this idea of being, being accepted, acceptedness, that that's something that we really, as human beings, we, we need and we long for. And especially, you know, kids in, in school are, that's something that's so important. Critical. And if you're thinking, like, maybe this is a time in tefillah that, that, that kids can be thinking about that, that, that issue. Like, who, who do I want to be accepted by? Who do I really need to be accepted by? And who can I just sort of let it go? You know, sometimes sometimes we do that. Sometimes we need you to say, okay, that person is not somebody who's going to accept me or find favor in for me in their eyes. Um, it's a little bit of a clumsy um, language thing. But and maybe I, who can we accept, right? Sometimes for sure. Uh, do we have the awareness at whatever level of school that we're excluding somebody? Could we, you know, right. include somebody else when we go to a movie on Saturday nights, include somebody else in what we're playing? Yeah. So uh, those are really very powerful. I would just say for me that the idea of, you know, this, this ask that we should witness God, God's return. Like for me, it kind of sums up this, the challenge in tefillah, this feeling that we're saying words, but who's listening, right? Like you mentioned before, the one-way conversation, the sense of, you know, it's almost like imagine you're talking to a friend, but there's no response on the other end. You just have to hope that your words are going through and that someone's listening. And I feel like this request that, you know, God, let me see that you're there. You know, I just want that experience of knowing that you're hearing, seeing me, with me. Uh, and I think that that's a very, it's a very powerful request. And it, it becomes concretized in this idea of, you know, God's return to the uh, to Jerusalem and Yerushalayim and to the Beit HaMikdash. So the Beit HaMikdash was meant to be this very physical, open reminder. God's God, That's God's house, so that means God lives here, and that means that God's accessible to me. Uh, and this acknowledgement that we don't have that in many ways, the sense that we do have that feeling that we are praying, but we're not always blessed with the sense of God being present or God listening. And I think that to acknowledge that also might be helpful for students, that uh, everyone who prays is not praying from a place of certainty, right? Uh, I know God's listening, that's why I pray. Or, of course God is with me, and that's why I pray. And, of course God hears my prayers, and that's why I pray. You know, I think maybe it's important to tell students, you know, I sometimes pray, I don't know if God's listening. 
I don't have a sense of God being with me. I'm hoping, I'm aspiring, I'm waiting, I'm longing, but I don't always have that. And sometimes we have to pray from that place also. Uh, sometimes we get the blessing of pl- praying in the light, and sometimes we have to pray uh, when it's dark. Uh, maybe that, that's, uh, that's, that we have to open that up also, the opportunity. Of, that's okay, too. It's okay to pray to, from a place of uncertainty or doubt or uh, even a place of lack of connection. I think that's such an important point when we're talking about the Shmona Esrei as a whole. All of these things we're asking for, you know, they're, they're, some of them are really, they're very concrete. And let's say we don't, don't get the, uh, the, the, our requests are not fulfilled, you know, our requests that we're saying three times a day. Let's say they're not fulfilled. I think your point is really important. We're still, we're still asking and, and we're not sure. And like you said, we sometimes are going to be praying, oftentimes going to be praying from a place of darkness. Well, on that cheerful note, <laughs> uh, anything anybody would like to add? Some uh, last minute advice for educators uh, trying to teach these closing three brachot. Alex, you, do, you had the idea of a gratitude list uh, as an entrance into modim, which I think is very possible or, or, or helpful. Uh, Aviva, you mentioned this idea of, of, of a reflection when it talks about acceptance. Okay, uh, who in my life can I show more acceptance to? Whose acceptance am I able to live without? Maybe is another good question. And you also, Aviva, mentioned the idea that how gratitude should also lead us to uh, the way we treat others as well, that if we feel filled up or taken care of, that we have to start thinking maybe, okay, so who is it that I have to take care of in my life? I was taken by the discussion between uh, Aviva and Sui here, where Sui said he felt a little despondent about unity. And Aviva was saying that she has this um, sort of, um, I don't know, Messiah vision. And I... Not in a weird way. No, I'm not... Uh, <laughs> I, it sounded very, very normal, the way that you put it, uh, and very hopeful. Um, I, I'm not sure I share either the despondency or such a, a firm uh, belief, but I will say that... Um, I am an optimist, but I'm also very much a realist. And uh, when you were talking about the coming together of different communities, shalom between us, between us as people, sim shalom, uh, I was thinking to myself that I think sometimes I look around me and I think we are making progress. You know, Ashkenazim and Sephardim, who saw themselves as very different communities, and there is a certain amount of ethnic friction there, even in Israel, but we see more and more around us. Um, marriage is happening, you know, without any regard to whether people are Ashkenazim and Sephardim, and gaps between those communities are closing here in Israel. And therefore, I, I certainly see optimism even on the ground in certain areas of shalom between communities uh, here in Israel. And I wonder whether that's another exercise that we could, we could do when we're talking about sim shalom and chart areas in which we feel that shalom is maybe, you know, a little bit beyond the rainbow, but the areas where we think there are shaloms that we can, uh, which are within our reach, um, and, uh, and, and use that as an exercise about, you know, how do, we, how do we make a shalom? There might be shaloms which are sort of, you know, uh, a messianic vision, but there could be shaloms, uh, all sorts of alliances and, and bridges that can be made, which are actually not so, they're just right around the corner. They're just a few steps away. And I wonder, you know, it might be between, you know, uh, 10th grade and 11th grade. (laughs) Um, No, I think that's a great point that uh, teachers in schools and in classrooms don't be afraid to identify where shalom is missing and how you could work to change it. 
right? That part of tefillah, I think, is thinking aspirationally and not being stuck in my own personal, you know, the C. Hirschfield defeatism and despondency, but to, to you know, to absorb a little of the A-team's uh, hopefulness because and optimism, because without that, then I think that if tefillah can instill that in us, the sense that things can improve and can get better, uh, that leads to very positive action which I think is uh, very much what we're about. So we're going to wrap things up here. You know, Ruven gave me the universal fingers. In, we're being in a circle, which means to wrap things up. So I'm going to listen to Ruven, as I often do. So I want to thank our outstanding A-team, Rabbi Alex Israel and Aviva Lauer, for being here and sharing uh, their insights and wisdom about the closing three brachot of Shmanasrei. Hopefully all of you out there uh, learned something. Uh, gain something both for yourselves personally and for your students. Uh, and we look forward to learning uh, more about tefillah with you in the future. Thank you for listening. For our database of tefillah resources and to learn more about tefillah goals, go to tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-A-H dot pardes dot org. And for more great podcasts, visit elmad, E-L-M-A-D dot pardes dot org. See you next time.